Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Now we're going to read God's word together. We're going to hear his voice. So let me encourage you to pick up a Bible and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Jeremy is going to come and read to us. Uh, So turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to read verse 7 to 11 on page 971. Matthew chapter 7, page 971. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find it. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake. If you, then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, I was well brought up, so I know it's always uh, polite to say thanks for having me when you're a visitor somewhere. But genuinely, from my heart, thanks for having me. Um, it's really nice to be back uh, in Forward tonight, and it was great uh, being able to be on House Party with you guys. Um, you as a church uh, have been blessed with a fantastic group of young people, and a fantastic group of people who are working with you young people. Uh, so do give thanks to God uh, for that. We're going to look at God's word together now, uh, but before we do so, let me just uh, lead us in prayer. Lord God, we thank you so much for giving us uh, your word, for speaking to us. Uh, by your spirit through the Bible. We praise you that your word is true and we pray that this evening uh, it would change and shape the way that we think. We praise you that your word is beautiful and we pray that this evening it would change and shape the way we feel. And we praise you that your word is powerful and we pray that this evening it would change and shape the way that we live for your glory. Amen. Great, I want to start this evening by asking you a question. It's going to be on the screen and it's this. What would your life look like if God were really good? Now, before Paul or Ben comes to drive me from the pulpit as a heretic, uh, let me just position that question. I'm not for one second questioning God's goodness, but what I want to do for a moment is to help us step inside the shoes of the millions, and there are millions of people who do. Because they do, don't they? I mean, that's why uh, that question of suffering is always uh, an apologetic chart topper. That's why you guys are running that event that Paul was advertising, uh, how can people get away with murder? See, people make uh, this sort of leap of logic. They think, well, my, my life isn't good. Therefore, God, if he exists, he can't be good, can he? Life isn't good. Therefore, God isn't good. And, and while that sort of line of thinking is really, really common among non-Christians, I want to suggest that we as Christians, even at Christchurch Fullwood, we're sometimes tempted to follow that same train of thought. I mean, of course, we're, we're committed in our heads, aren't we, to the idea of God's goodness. Um, we know, to, to borrow some words that are used in the liturgy of the African church, that God is good all the time. But emotionally, sometimes, sometimes it's hard, isn't it, to give those words our full backing, especially when life is tough and suffering comes. 
Sometimes when, for us, life isn't good, it does feel like God isn't good. To use the terms of, of Matthew 7, the passage Jeremy read for us, sometimes, sometimes it feels like God has given you a stone or even a snake. As we said in our confession earlier, we have doubted God's good, good plans for our lives. I just want to take a minute to share some personal testimony of how that might work. So um, in the summer of 2010, whilst we were down uh, in London at Bible College, uh, Lainey, my wife, and I had a miscarriage, and, and that was how it felt. It felt like God wasn't good. It felt like we'd been given a stone, when all we'd asked for, all we prayed for, was some bread. I remember a couple of weeks uh, after it happened, standing uh, in church, singing the song, I will bless the Lord forever, based on, on Psalm 73. Some of you probably know it, uh, it contains these lines, I will bless the Lord forever. I will trust him at all times. You have made me glad and I'll say of the Lord, you are my shield, my strength, my portion. And as we sang those words, I reached for Lainey's hand and I held it and I, I could feel her welling up. I could feel her fighting to believe those words she was singing. And the exact same fight was raging inside of me. And I reckon... I reckon the same fight is raging inside some of us right now. Because, I mean, what happened to Lainey and I wasn't unique. Some of you have been through exactly that. Some of you will have been through similar or some of you will have been through much worse things. And some of you will be going through those things right now. See, we've all got bits of our lives that sometimes feel like stones. I mean, it, it could be almost any way in which, from your point of view, life isn't good. It isn't the way that you planned it, that you dreamed it, that you hoped for it, even prayed for it to be. It might be to do with your family. It might be to do with your relationship status, your, your finances, your job, your health, your self-image, your exam results, just your kind of general spiritual progress. All of those circumstances can make it a fight to believe that God is really good. And what's worse, I think, is that sometimes we can be scared to admit that we're in that fight. It's easy, isn't it, to think we're supposed to be strong Christians. You know, we're clear and uncompromising on matters of truth. So how can we admit that it's, it's a fight to believe something as simple, as fundamental as the fact that God is good? So we fight on, often alone. And, you know, in war there must be casualties, so our, our joy gets gunned down, our, our peace and our contentment are obliterated, our prayer life falls by the wayside, our quiet times are caught in the crossfire. Faith dwindles, hope fades, love is on its last legs. That's a bleak picture, isn't it? Maybe I'm being overly bleak, I, I don't know, but I, I don't think that I am. I reckon most of you will know the sort of feeling I'm talking about. And even if you don't, you, you probably will at some point. And even if, by God's grace, you never do, it's an absolute guarantee that there will be people around you who know this fight, the fight to go on believing that God is good and who need your help in it. And so what we're going to do this evening is face up to the fight together. To quote a high school musical, as we did a couple of times on House Party, uh, we're all in this together. Um, if we can't be real about these things in our church family, then where can we? 
Now, as we've heard on House Party this year, we've been uh, looking at the story of Joseph, where one of the big lessons is about how God rules and he rules for our good. God uses even the most evil of human deeds for his good purposes, uh, for his glory, for the good of his people. Uh, To quote the verse on the t-shirt, which is under here somewhere, uh, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives, Genesis 50, 20. Tonight, we're gonna be thinking about the same kind of theme, Uh, that theme of God's goodness. But uh, rather than looking again at the Joseph story, we're going to look at some of Jesus's teaching on that subject to help us in this fight to keep trusting that God is good. So uh, if you've closed your Bible, open it again in Matthew 7, uh, verses 7 to 11, and we're going to see what help we can find for this fight. Here's the interesting thing, though. At first, at first, I think this passage looks like it's only making things worse, because in it, Jesus makes some pretty incredible promises. Now, uh, I used to work in marketing, and one of the key principles of marketing is that it's always better to under-promise and over-deliver rather than the other way around, to over-promise and under-deliver. And have a look at verses 7 and 8. Don't, don't they look like a massive over-promise? I mean, ask and it will be given to you. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, that would be amazing enough on its own, but look at the verse. Jesus repeats it twice more, just with slightly different vocabulary, but the same basic point. And as if that wasn't enough, there's another little set of three in verse eight uh, with an even more emphatic wording. Everyone who asks receives. This is incredible, isn't it? Whatever we ask for, we will get. We just have to ask. Whatever we're looking for, we will find. I mean, not even Google can always deliver on that one. And whatever metaphorical doors we knock at, they will be opened. Sounds, it sounds like Jesus is giving his followers a blank check. Come to me with whatever request you want, he seems to be saying, and it will be granted. Well, is that really what Jesus is saying here? Because that doesn't, doesn't fit with our experience, for one thing, does it? Especially in those times when life doesn't seem good and our prayers for something better go unanswered. And of course, it doesn't fit with the rest of the Bible. It doesn't even fit with the rest of this bit of the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 to 7. Uh, We know, don't we, uh, if we've read the Bible at all, that these verses are are not really a blank check for us to cash at the bank of Jesus Christ. If we misunderstand them as such, well, our attempts to live the Christian life will will be crippled by false expectations and dashed, misguided hopes And these verses will just seem to us like a cruel lie. In actual fact, the illustration that Jesus gives us in verses 9 and 10 proves that we aren't to treat uh, this promise as a blank check. I think it's it's a great illustration. It's uh, it's powerful, it's visual, it's to the point. And I think uh, in a a sort of slightly dark way, it's quite funny actually. Uh, Which of you, Jesus says, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. When you, you can imagine the poor young boy who, who asks his father for some bread and then looks up at him in confusion and disappointment when he's handed a stone. Or the son who asks his dad for a fish to cook for his lunch, but then recoils in horror and disbelief when a, a snake is thrust into his palm. No, no earthly father would behave like that. Although um, there was this incident... Uh, 
It wasn't exactly this one. So uh, we've got a little boy, Lucas, and there's this game we like to play in the back garden. He has this tree that he pretends is an ice cream shop. So I will stand under the tree and he will come to me and give me some pretend money and say, ice cream, please. And uh, well, that, obviously, it's, it's, we're just pretending I didn't have any ice cream to hand. So I handed him the next best thing, I suppose, which was a snail that was making its way up the trunk of the tree. So, I mean, there are earthly fathers who, when their sons ask them for ice cream, will give them a snail. But that was just, that was just playing. I mean, that, to take that would to be to undermine the serious point Jesus is making. No earthly father really, no earthly father really would behave like that, at least not one who's worthy of the name. I mean, it would be stupid, wouldn't it? And unbelievably cruel. And have a look at verse 11. If no earthly father would behave like that, well then God, our heavenly father, well he certainly won't treat his children with that sort of cruelty. Do you see the comparison Jesus is making? Even imperfect earthly fathers, actually Jesus goes further than that, he calls them evil. Even evil earthly fathers give good gifts to children when they ask. So how much more will our perfect Heavenly Father, give good things to his children who ask him. That Christians can call God Father is just one of the most profound blessings of the gospel, isn't it? And this verse gives us an insight into what sort of a father we have. Uh, On the first night of our house party, Joe gave us this lovely little speech about how uh, he wanted us for the week to be a family and uh, how he was going to be our father for the week. So... I suppose many of us were probably wondering, what what sort of father was Joe going to be? Was he going to be a a cruel and stingy father who who rarely and reluctantly gave uh, good things to his children? If that was what Joe was going to be like, if he was sort of cruel and, and harsh, we'd probably have spent most of the week being scared of him and we'd have avoided him, wouldn't we? Of course, Joe could have gone to the opposite end of the spectrum. He could have been a a thoughtlessly extravagant father, giving us uh, whatever we ask, regardless of whether it were good for us. You know, rather than just a fiver for fish and chips at Blackpool, he could have given us hundreds of pounds and said, go on, have some fun on the slot machines. I mean, if Joe had been that sort of a father, well, we would probably have just approached him with arrogance and presumption, knowing that basically we had him wrapped around our little fingers. We could ask for whatever we wanted and he'd just give it to us. Well, thankfully on House Party, Joe was neither of those extremes. Uh, And even more thankfully, neither is God. See, we have a father who is good. And therefore, who is not cruel or stingy, nor thoughtlessly extravagant, but lovingly generous. God loves to lavish good things upon us. As the uh, preacher from the 20th century, Martin Lloyd-Jones, wrote, If you're a Christian, because God is your father... He will never give you anything that is evil. God will never give you a stone instead of bread or a snake instead of a fish. So we can approach our father with trust and confidence, knowing what his intentions are towards us. That, uh, that solves the, the blank check question. Jesus isn't talking about our father giving us anything we ask for. Uh, only good things are our, our, our first half, I suppose, of our point for this evening. God is our good father who gives us good things but there's still a problem isn't there if God will never give me anything evil if uh, if Romans 28 which is a verse that we looked at uh, on Friday morning at house party if that verse is true uh, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him 
Then how, how come Christians still have to suffer things like job losses or illnesses or bereavement or persecution or loneliness or stress? Doesn't it look like we've uncovered sort of an inconsistency between how God says he'll treat his children and, and how he actually treats us? Well, to solve this question, we need to understand what Jesus is talking about in verse 11 when he refers to good things. And in order to do that, I think we need to look back a little bit through the Sermon on the Mount. So uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has already spoken about seeking and he's already spoken about asking and receiving. So just look across the page to uh, chapter 6 and verse 33. Jesus says there, seek first his, that's God's kingdom and his righteousness. See, when Jesus talks about seeking, that, that seeking of God's kingdom, that's the sort of seeking he expects his followers to be engaged in. And what about asking? Well, just look a bit further up uh, the chapter in, in Matthew 6, uh, what we're told to ask for in the Lord's prayer. prayer. We're told to ask for God's kingdom to come, for uh, provision of daily bread, for forgiveness, for deliverance. And I take it then that when Jesus is encouraging us in Matthew 7, to ask with confidence, those are the good things that he has in mind. You see, I don't know how it was for Jesus' first hearers, but I mean, if, if I read through this sermon, Matthew 5 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount, if I read through it, or if I hear it preached, by the time I get halfway through chapter 7, I think it's pretty clear to me what I need and what I should be asking for. I've been convicted by that point in Jesus' sermon of the fact that I'm a lawbreaker, and a hypocrite. I've been told that I must be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect and yet it's painfully clear that I belong with the you who are evil in verse 11 and not just because I gave my son a snail. Our house party as Joe has said had a pirate theme and that was a source of much hilarity. Um, If you want a taste of that just ask Claire Stanley for her pirate accent. Uh, But it also uh, enabled us to make some serious points. So we thought about the fact that we've all got this sort of inner pirate. We're all naturally rebels. We all naturally reject God's chosen ruler, Jesus, just like Joseph's brothers rejected him and his God-given dreams of one day ruling over them. We're all pirates. And not in a fun dressing up sort of a way. We're all rebels against God and none of us can live up to God's standards. But this amazing sermon of Jesus's also tells us that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And so our verses for today, Matthew 7, 7 to 11, well, they should come as sweet relief. The relief of water in the desert, a port in a storm, Five seconds of immunity from one of Ollie Rowe's crunching tackles in a wide game. Seconds of Marilyn and Linda's sausage casserole. What does Jesus say? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. This genuinely is one of the most remarkable promises in the Bible. Our Heavenly Father is so good. He's so good that he promises to give us the thing that we need most in all the world, the thing actually that we deserve least in all the world. And all we have to do is ask. See, Jesus' words are designed to fill us with this hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
and the conviction that we can't achieve this righteousness ourselves, his words drive us to depend on our Heavenly Father, to ask him for what we desperately need. And out of his goodness and his grace, God answers our prayers for those ultimate good things, for forgiveness, for deliverance, for righteousness. You see, we can know that Romans 8, 28, uh, that God works in all things for the good of those who love him. We can know that verse is true because we can look back in history and know that Romans 8, verse 32 is true. That verse says this, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him, graciously give us all things. It's another verse that we thought about together on House Party. And uh, one of the sort of reflections on that verse was this. When God says, he who did not, when it says he who did not spare his own son, that means that God effectively said, I'm not going to spare Jesus, but I am going to spare the Christians. I'm not going to spare Jesus, but I'm going to spare Dave Crofts, I'm going to spare Joe Houghton, I'm going to spare Claire Stanley. And when you meditate on God's goodness as revealed in his not sparing his own son, but giving him up for us all, when you think about that, how can you doubt that God is good? See, when life is not good, when you're tempted to doubt that God is good, well, look at the good things that God has given you in Jesus. He's given you the things that you needed more than all the world. He has given you righteousness. He has given you forgiveness. He's given you life. He's put you in a position where you can call him father. He has orchestrated every circumstance of your life to bring you into his kingdom and to keep you there. So what would your life look like if God were really good? Well, God is really good. And so your life would look exactly as it does now if you're a Christian, forgiven and justified and sometimes forced by circumstances, even extreme circumstances, to trust and depend on our Father's goodness even more and actually as we depend on him more, to love him more. How good is our Father? How kind, how generous, how loving? He's very good, isn't he? He's very good indeed. That was the lesson that Joseph learned. He learned it the hard way through a lot of ups and downs. But at the end of his life, he could see that even the intense evil that he suffered was part of God's good plan for him, for his family, for the world. So Joseph could trust God's promises for the future. It was the lesson really that we learned on House Party Uh, So we, I hope, at the end of the week we've just had, can see that actually even in our suffering, God is faithful. His plan is still to prosper. It's part of his good plan for us to get us into his kingdom and to keep us there. And it's a lesson that we learn most clearly from the cross where the the worst thing humanity has ever done, crucifying our maker, was in one sense the best thing God has ever done taking our punishment, making forgiveness possible, setting us free, opening up the way to an eternity, enjoying his goodness in a fuller, more spectacular form than we can even get our heads around here and now. And so, with that goodness in mind, well, let us ask for the good things he promises to give. Let's 
keep on praying for him every day, praying to him every day. Let's keep on uh, asking for uh, forgiveness. Keep on praying that we may daily be kept from temptation, that we may have our daily bread, that we may daily be made more righteous, that Jesus would finish that good work that he started in each of us to make us more like himself, that our heavenly Father's kingdom might come. Let's ask for those things. And what does Jesus say? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. What difference does it make to us to know, to deep down know that God is really good? Well, I think in God's goodness, in this fact of his sovereign fatherly goodness, we can find three things that we desperately need. We can find contentment with our circumstances. And we live in a world that really struggles to find contentment, doesn't it? We can find confidence to pray. We can know that we're praying to a good father who loves to give us good things. And we can find commitment to act. We don't need to be sort of paralysed, wondering uh, you know, if God will ever get us out of whatever mess we're about to get ourselves into. We can know that our lives are in the hands of our good Father. We can get on with committing to sharing the gospel, with, to living the gospel, knowing that God is good all the time. And as the African church would respond, all the time, God is good good. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much that you are our good father, that you're not like uh, limited earthly fathers who don't always know what's best for their children and even when they do aren't able to deliver it. We thank you that you know in your sovereignty what is ultimately best for us and you are able to deliver it. Please help us to trust in your goodness and to proclaim your goodness to a world that maintains that you aren't good. And we pray too, Lord, that uh, this truth of your goodness uh, that we thought about on House Party and we thought about tonight, uh, that it be one that sticks with us and enables us to have uh, lives, uh, prayer lives that are dedicated um, to coming before you regularly, confidently, and as your children, asking for those good things that you give us. Uh, repenting of our sins, confessing them, and asking for forgiveness, knowing that you provide it abundantly through the Lord Jesus, asking for you to keep on working in us by your spirit, asking for you to uh, protect us and help us persevere so that we can be uh, with you forever in heaven. And we pray that for your glory. Amen.